Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an easy breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An easy breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own easy breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit takechargeofyourair.com today. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The following is a high-five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sort. High-five casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 12 games. I want again. Platoon, present cell phone. High five. High five. Casino. Casino. Win at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. What's going on and welcome into a special edition of the Pelican Podcast presented by SeatGeek. Part two of our conversation of the look back of the last decade here with the New Orleans Hornets slash Pelicans. As as we you listened yesterday, we went from 2010 to 2013. We found five memorable moments, at least in our eyes, that were very impactful uh, for this franchise's history. It was in 2010, December, where the NBA purchases the New Orleans Hornets. A year later, the Chris Paul trade as a lockout ended and the Pelic- or the Hornets started another season. Again, I'm going to get mixed up with this Hornets and Pelicans when it started. We'll get to that in a second. In April 2012, Tom Benson purchases the New Orleans franchise. And a month later, the Hornets won the lottery and grab Anthony Davis. And then in 2013 of January, the name change that goes to the Pel- from the Hornets to the Pelicans. On that note, I welcome back in our resident expert, Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com, formerly of Hornets.com. And also, since Jim's been here uh since uh, the basketball was invented, we figured we would bring him in to kind of talk about um, the last half of this decade here. Again, we had some good mo- memorable moments here um, on yesterday's podcast, but um, I did want to start. Let's go to April of 2015, Jim. I'm not giving you time to defend yourself with all the old jokes that I present to you, so we're just going to move on. You can kind of throw some back at me sure. whenever you're ready for it. But let's go to uh, April of 2015, and that was uh, the year that the Pelic or it was the Pelicans now. Again, I'm going to keep going back and forth. The Pelicans made the playoffs. It was their first playoff berth in four years as they uh, win the tiebreaker with the Oklahoma City Thunder for that eighth spot. That's the year that Kevin Durant went down, and there's a lot of things that happened. But, um, Jim, I want to go back to We have to go back to February of that year when Anthony Davis hits the game-winning shot against the Oklahoma City Thunder in OKC, a three-pointer that sealed that win and also – basically sealed the playoff spot based on that tiebreaker situation. Yeah, that was definitely one of the most memorable plays, uh, shots, baskets of the last 10 years for sure on the court for New Orleans. We didn't know it at the time how huge it would be right. that, when that shot went in, but it definitely turned out to be to be um, a, a, a massive um, play in the scheme of things. Um, I think one of the things that st- stands out to me the most that season was um, with – say 20 games left in the season, maybe even earlier than that at the all-star break Pelicans were right around 500. I think a lot of people had given up, given up on them, given up them up for dead as far as being able to make the playoffs. I remember that there were a lot mm-hmm. of people, you know, media wise that said it's over. It's time to start, 
you know, figuring out what trades you're going to make and worrying, thinking about the draft. It was after a loss in Philadelphia when that was the first year, I think, of the process. I mm. think it was off a, a East Coast road trip in January where people were writing them off because I yeah. think you lost two or three on that road trip, and one of those was the Philadelphia 76ers. I mm-hmm. think everyone came back and said it was over. Keep going. I yeah. just, I just no, remember that. No, it, it, it's always good to fill in some of the extra details yeah. because, I mean, there's so much in the memory bank that has kind of drifted away. But – um, and then with, I think it was 11 games left in the season, the Pelicans were four games behind OKC, three and a half. I'm, I'm not, it was something like that. And the Pelicans finished eight and three, and the OKC finished four and seven in their last 11 games. So you were able to erase that four-game deficit. It doesn't necessarily sound like a ton, but you'd be surprised at how— With 11 games left of this. Right, how infrequently that happens where you need to be able to obviously finish the season on a, on a tear— and get a ton of help from the other team losing games. So it was a it was a huge celebration the last game of that season that they beat the Spurs in game 82 here in New Orleans and were able to get into the playoffs. I remember this is a kind of a little bit of a random funny memory, but there was a game about the OKC had about 3 games left in the regular season. Westbrook Russell Westbrook was ejected from a game against Indiana and it pushed him over the the limit for he had too many technical yep. fouls, so it triggered a suspension. And the NBA revoked, rescinded, rescinded the suspension. I, I actually, I, I'm sitting here saying like probably not many people would remember that, but the fact that you remembered yep. that immediately, mm-hmm. and I bet you there are a ton of Pelicans fans out there that also remember that. So you're scoreboard watching at that time, exactly. And so you're thinking he got a technical foul that he probably does. He, I don't remember exactly, but it was one of those things where it was like, why are we, why are we revising the rules right now? Right. But in the NBA's eyes, I think they didn't want that to dictate or partly dictate the the um the finish of the playoff race but either way it, i think okc won both of their last two games they, they won the game it, it didn't matter obviously because the pelicans won the games that they needed to to win to, to get into the playoffs was it me because i i think i said kevin durant and you were saying westbrook kind of triggered that what didn't he go down and that's kind of how the the thunder yes. fell back all the way to the eight spots because Durant was lost um, probably yeah. at the time where the Pelicans were struggling the most. I want to say he only played about 25 to 30 games. I, I could go back later and check that out. But, he, yeah, he missed a huge chunk of that season. And I think OKC went into that year not expecting to have any question about whether they were going to make the playoffs or not. A few years before that, they were in the NBA Finals, yeah. and they were one of the best teams of the early part of the last decade. So, yeah. That was fortunate. That was definitely a, a, a fortunate thing, which is actually pretty rare considering the negative luck that the New Orleans franchise right. had in injury-wise for a lot of the decade. And unfortunately, it was pretty rare for the Pelicans to be making the playoffs because I mentioned it was the first playoff berth in four years. It was a first-round exit and a sweep of the Golden State Warriors, which ended up being the beginning of their run. So not only did they kind of affect the Pelicans' history a little bit, but that's kind of the start of the greatness and the, the mini-dynasty that the Golden State Warriors were yeah. a part of. 14-15 was a big turning point for the NBA because it was also the year four, 2014 was the end of the four-year run for LeBron in Miami. So that was the beginning of him going back to Cleveland. You had that same NBA Finals for those four years. And going back to what you said about Golden State, it, it really was amazing the rise that they made after being one of the worst franchises in the NBA for probably the previous most of the previous 20 years. And people, I think people always forget too – especially people that don't closely follow the NBA. The Warriors were terrible the first couple of years that Steph Curry played there as well. Yep. It's not like he jumped into the NBA and was immediately one of the best players in the league on a dominant team. So, 
Yeah, it, it's interesting to think about how much that that uh that was kind of a pivot point I, I think for the NBA overall in 2015. Yeah, absolutely. And you even talk about people were worried about before that with Steph Curry and his ankle injuries that people didn't really know how successful he would be in the NBA if he was able to stay healthy. And sure enough, uh, besides this year, um, he stayed healthy and he's been a two-time MVP winner. Um, and also the next year after that for the Pelicans, there were a lot of expectations, a lot of nationally televised games as everyone thought the Pelicans were going to make that next step. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that did not happen. The team was riddled with injuries heading into the end of the regular season and they got off to such a bad start and ended up being um, a year that the Pelicans did not make the playoffs. And then you go, let's go to our next one in uh, 2017 of February. Um, you're already under the Alvin Gentry era, which we didn't really talk about that new head coach um, with Alvin there in 2015. And then, um, or 20, that was the first year of Alvin Gentry, right, 15, correct? 15, 16 was yeah, his first year. First year. Again, because Monty was the one that made the playoffs there right. in, mm -hmm. uh, in 2015. And so mm -hmm. you started the Alvin Gentry year um, with a lot of high hopes. Alvin was coming off of a win with the Golden State Warriors as an associate head coach. Mm -hmm. You come in, you don't make the playoffs, and then in February 2017, we're, you weren't really getting off to a good start either. Right. The team was kind of treading water, treading not really water. making huge progress. Absolutely. Yeah. Then the All Star break happens, and it was um, it was a very interesting night um, to say the least. You had um, Anthony Davis wins the MVP, mm -hmm. breaks the record for uh, most points in the game, and then you also have on that same night. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins and the rumblings of a potential trade between the Pelicans and the Kings. And, it, and the trade actually was officially, or at least reported, maybe not officially, but it was reported to be done that night. So that was, I think that's always going to be one of the most memorable moments of my career, especially my time here. Something that you'll never forget of just how crazy that night was that you're hosting the NBA All-Star Game, actually unexpectedly because right. it was originally supposed to be in Charlotte. But um, you're hosting the NBA All-Star Game, and there's so much focus on that part of it. And then all of a sudden, right before the game, you start hearing reports about this massive blockbuster trade. And it, it's funny, when I think back, I, I'm not sure what stood out to you about that night the most, but for me, it was just how not only as the game was about to start, how much of an afterthought the game itself was, but also after the game was over, how quickly you shifted into the mode of, okay, this this is a huge trade and how is this going to affect the team? It, it's funny, you know, that Anthony Davis won MVP of that All-Star game and he broke the scoring record, right, for, yeah. for most points. But it was so, it was so, um, what's the word? Ignored almost. Irre it was irrelevant. Irrelevant, yeah, that's a better word to put, to, way to put it. It was so, such a non-story. And in some ways, I guess, you could feel bad for him that night because it was like, you know, something that had never been achieved in the history of the NBA but um but it wasn't a, it was such a neglected story and another thing that this is kind of a random funny memory that stands out to me so much about that night and you could kind of read into you could kind of make the leap to this explaining a lot of other things about the NBA that's happened since then but i remember so vividly in the post game press conferences where people were already already shifting their attention to, hey, the Pelicans traded for DeMarcus Cousins. Giannis was up at, on the stage, and they were asking him about, like, hey, man, you know, you were playing so hard. You know, you know why were you? they basically were asking him, like, why are you playing so hard? And he was so confused yeah. because he was like, wait a minute, like, what do you mean? Why wouldn't I play defense? Why wouldn't I play hard? And that moment is kind of 
encapsulates like why partly of what what the NBA decided to do as far as changing the format of the All Star Game, because it's almost like in Giannis's position he's not as we've seen throughout his whole career, but especially as he's become more prominent, one MVP, he's not trying to be friends with everybody. Whereas a lot of the top players are trying to be tight with each other, and some of the I, I understandably I think people don't like the lack of competitiveness to the all-star game that it be- had become a thing where it's like, Hey, go, sh- go dunk. I won't stand in your way. And so, um, it was just always funny to me to think of how Giannis was sitting there and just completely perplexed by how, by how all of these journalists, mostly American media members were just astonished with him of why he would actually try to try in the all-star game. And I think that says a lot about how kind of, off the track that that event, especially the All-Star game, had gotten at that point. I remember a couple things from that night. Um, actually, I was with you before the game in our studio when some of these rumors were popping mm-hmm. up, and we both looked at each other like, there's no way this is happening. This is just going to – it's not going to happen. This would be too good to be true right. that the Pelicans would be able to get DeMarcus Cousins to play next to Anthony Davis. And the other thing I remember is watching Cousins' media availability after the game and someone whispering in his ear, and I think they were telling him – that he had been traded or there have been rumors going around that he was going to be traded. And so the fact that he's sitting in this all-star game, and I think there was a reason why he didn't play that much too that mm-hmm. night, that there was a maybe a sense that something was going to happen. They told the coach to let's not put him in because this thing was going down. So the fact that I was on Twitter most of the time during the game, I was watching AD go off but at the same time. I'm looking at this rumor says it's not going to happen. This says it's getting close. This mm-hmm. thing says it's done. And of course that was, kind of when Twitter was evolving into where it is now, but you were relying on that part of it to break the news, and everyone's just sitting there in the press box or in the press area where we were just talking to each other like, no way, who is it for? Who's going here? Um, is this really going to happen? The Pelicans at that time were not in the playoff um, in the playoff top picture. Eight, yeah. yeah, but everyone was thinking then, all right, this is going to be it. This mm-hmm. is going to put them over the top, and then uh, unfortunately the Pelicans don't make the playoffs, but I just remember all those things happening and you leaving the arena going – what? Right. And you right. weren't talking about the mm-hmm. game. You were talking about what was going to happen the next morning when you went to the office and, and thinking about a trade that just yep. happened. And, you know, two other things that stood out. I had written this down that that was February 19th, 2017. There's a couple other things that stand out about that night as far as how it affected the NBA. Um, one we kind of a, a touched on a little bit as far as the, let's be honest, the, the competition, quote-unquote, on the court was almost a farce. Yeah. It was like, I think that was part of the reason why – Anthony Davis didn't get the the credit or whatever for score, the scoring record because it was just like I think you could have scored twelve points in that game that night maybe fifteen if you were if you were hot like so, twenty come on. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was a that was a one thing that I think the NBA not to put words in other people's mouth but I think people across the league were kind of like we got to do something about this because this is ridiculous and the other thing that you mentioned about Cousins and I think it was a Kings PR Sacramento Kings PR person whispering in his ear like, hey, man, you've been traded. There's a trade happening. Um, the NBA changed the trade deadline, and part of that was because they didn't want the All-Star game to be overshadowed by all of the rumors and the reports mm-hmm. of trades because that happened. I remember, this is going back to 2008, Jason Kidd was traded. I forget the teams. It doesn't matter. Um, he was traded during All-Star weekend and played, I think, for the West when he was traded to an Eastern team because he had, so the NBA at that point in 2017, I think after that happened was like, we got to do something about this. So they moved the trade deadline up to early February. So 
I don't know if you can draw a direct line from the Cousins trade to some of the structural changes that the NBA made, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was was not a, a pretty big factor in that decision. All right, so let's take it now to April and May of 2018, the next year, which does involve uh, DeMarcus Cousins in a, in a little bit. Unfortunately, it was his injury that happened in January. Um, this is before the Pelicans made the playoffs um, and reached the second round of the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. Um, but you, I think it was January 26th, I actually remember this date, because mm. I was filling in for Sean calling the game. Um, and I didn't really know the extent of DeMarcus's injury when he went down. I thought it was an ankle or something like that. Right. And then people talked about it being an Achilles, and then you end up finding out that you lose him for the rest of the season. This is when the Pelicans were really starting to turn the corner. They were starting to figure things out. It looked like, all right, they're on the right track. And then you start losing a little bit after the fact that Cousins was gone, and then you yeah, really made a run. Mm -hmm. I remember the last five games of the season uh, for the Pelicans to get into the playoffs. Just to get the eighth, they pretty much had to probably go 4-1 and one and mm -hmm. end up being they needed to go 5-0, and oh, which they did. But I'll yep. never forget the Golden State Warriors game on the road. I mm -hmm. think it was to end that road trip or it was the second game to end that road trip. Yeah. Where that was probably the one game that you're like, this is going to be tough because mm -hmm. the Warriors, I think, were still battling for seeding or positioning. And even if not, they were still playing their guys. And, like, yep. the Pelicans have to get this game as much as, you know, they may be able to sneak in the eighth if they don't. And then they end up going in there and beating them. And then that's when you kind of thought, this team's going to make the playoffs. This team's going to do it. And sure enough, you get the sixth seed because of a three-team tiebreaker. Um, you end up losing, actually, the tiebreaker because it could have been four, five, or six, I believe, correct? Yeah. And yeah. you end up losing that tiebreaker, but you end up, getting the matchup that I think everyone wanted in the Portland Trailblazers. Mm -hmm. But just leading up to that point, Jim, um, just an unbelievable run to end the season. And all that momentum that you had at the end of the regular season uh, definitely trickled into the postseason. It really was. And the the just to go back to late January, early February that you referenced, um, when Cousins was hurt, I think across the board as far as outside external – there were a lot of people saying they're done, season's over. Because a lot of times, you know, when you look at ba basketball, you look at one plus one equals two, and you say, like, you pull this star guy out of the mix and the team is going to falter, which does happen a lot of times. But then when they started off with a losing streak, I think right after he was out, um, it was even more the case. People were like, oh, there's no chance they make the playoffs. So, But that Golden State win in April, to me, is probably without – thinking about it and going through the list is probably one of the most significant probably road wins or regular season wins that they had in the last decade. But because of what you said, as far as like the circumstances were very difficult, it, w it didn't seem like a game that you could, that you were going to be able to get very easily. And then they ended up winning that game. And I think it was two days later, they beat the Clippers in game 81 and that actually clinched the playoffs. They had a little bit of a wiggle room at that point because they mm -hmm. still had two games left, but um, that was an incredible feeling I think for everybody that was on the team to know that so many people had, had counted them out as far as you, you don't have any chance to make the playoffs because this guy that's been on the all-star team a bunch of times is out for the season but the chemistry on that team was incredible and it just seemed like everybody just they they clicked they had a 10 game winning streak I think in February slash March yep. March and then they won the last five regular season games and won the first or was it four Either way, they had a. I think they had an eight-game winning streak. That if you count the four-game playoff sweep over, I think over it Portland, had to be nine. Then maybe they it was go, nine. Then they go five and zero to end this. Yeah, end the regular I think season, so. So then it'd be nine of them. Yeah. So that was that was um, that was a a, a great mo moment. I think it was something. Unfortunately, when we look back on it in hindsight, 
he thought that that was going to be the springboard to the future, but you know, obviously there were things going on that we didn't know at the time. And, um, you thought that that was going to be the beginning of a, of, of that era of a, of a great era for the team, but obviously they had to, they've had to refresh since then. Yeah. We'll get to that in just a second, but let's just go back to that first round of the playoffs and how much fun I know we both had, right. um, just from covering that series. And whenever you start a series on the road, um, you know, the goal is to split that road trip. You know, mm-hmm. if you go one and one and you remove home court advantage from um, the, the higher seeded team, you think, OK, you at least put yourself in the position to make it a, a six or seven um, game series, um, even though a lot of people were actually picking the Pelicans to win the series. I think everyone just thought as far as matchup base, this was kind of if there was going to be an upset in the first round of the playoffs, sure. that Pelicans Blazers team or series was going to be the one. Mm-hmm. And so. The fact that you go in there and win game one, you're like, all right, you did that. You, you covered it. If you lose game two, you still go home with a chance to go up 3-1. Yep. And then you win game two. And I remember after game two, for, per, this is kind of funny personally, um, after game two, you're, we're in Portland. We go back to the hotel because the uh, we're, we're not leaving till the next day because if you leave from Portland after a game, you're going to get back here at seven, 6 or 7 a.m. with a five-hour flight. But um, my brother calls me at like, maybe an hour after that game ends in Portland. Now keep in mind, it's 11 o'clock in Portland. It's 2 a.m. in New York. Mm-hmm. My brother's calling me. He's all excited. He's like, man, what a great win. That was awesome. And I'm just like, hey, uh, Dave, what are you, you're still awake at 2 a.m.? But that's how like excited everyone was. Right. And people, were, people were so pumped. It was such an amazing feeling. And then, I mean, you can tell me what you think too, but when I think about game three and game four of that series here, like not to get emotional here, but it was just – like to me, that might have been the sweetest, the coolest thing that we've seen in the the ten, in the entire time I've been here. It was up there. Yeah. I mean, the for me, the 08 playoffs was amazing too. But to see after you know you had made the playoffs the previous few years, you went through a bunch of stuff. You went through one of your best players, your multi-time All Star, getting hurt, and then just to see the arena in Game Three and Game Four with everyone wearing the red, red. shirts, yeah. and then being able to cap off the sweep after you you know, had been a team that hadn't had a ton of success on the court just to see like everybody kind of rallying together and the whole city being fired up. That was, that's got, that was right up there with one of the best moments I've had here. And, and this is no disrespect to the, the Moda center and the atmosphere there. Cause we talk about how great it was, but in that game three and four, you really felt like I thought our, the arena, the smoothie King center was a lot louder than it was just because the fans were, were so great in that mm-hmm. atmosphere. You really, this is what everyone was waiting for is a playoff like atmosphere, just a taste of the postseason. Sure. And especially after you win those two games, everyone was like, you have to be there for games three and four because this is a chance to not only after you won game three that you could sweep this team and get ready to face the defending champion Golden State Warriors. And so it was, it's just a, it was unbelievable. And, and when it comes down to it, you know, there's so many things that we talk about in sports, but that was probably the closest thing that captured like why people love sports and why you want to be a part about a part of it. It's not about the analytics. It's not about like, you know, some of the, the trade rumors and the, in, you know, all the different reports and all the, the BS that we have to deal with sometimes with, you know, not to throw, not to kill them, but like national media doing stuff that's reckless and irresponsible. I could go on a long list, but I'm not going to of, of different things that I could rant about, but that, um, that was the essence of like why you want to work in sports, like why from the beginning of when I graduated from college that I wanted to work in, in, the, in this position was to experience stuff like that. It was just incredible. 
For those of you who don't know, the Pelicans ended up losing in the second round of the playoffs. I'm just, <laughs> I think everyone knows. But they fell to the Golden State Warriors in five games. But that also that one home game was great that you end up going down mm-hmm. 2-1. It was game three. And then you think, man, you have a chance to make it 2-2. And then you end up losing game four. I just remember all of us, though, having to go back to uh, the Oakland at the time. And mm-hmm. then you, you lose 4-1. And it's like, man, you travel all that way. And then the season ends. But um, – that was just kind of how the season ended, but yet um, it was a, just an unbelievable ride for this team. And so you end up going to um, last season, and it kind of wasn't that honeymoon uh, quickly came to an end. I'm glad we're not ending with last season as the last moment of the no, podcast. It's more. not even a moment because it was it was arguably the probably arguably the worst and most frustrating and et cetera season of the entire time I've been here. Yeah, Anthony Davis demanding a trade in January, and then after that, things just kind of unraveled from there, how I think everyone was ready for that season to end as the mm-hmm. Pelicans don't make the playoffs. Uh, I think it was 34 games that the team won. I think so. I try, I try to forget yeah, that season. It was in the 33, 30s, maybe? 33, either way. Um, <laughs> it wasn't good, either the way. Se- the season came to an end, um, and it just felt like it took forever to do so yep. just because of how things Dragged unraveled. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had... Um, a new GM, a new change as uh, Del Demps um, was relieved of his duties at the All-Star break mm. of last year. Yep. And so you're with an interim GM and Danny Ferry um, up until um, April of 2018 or 2019, excuse me. And then you announced the hiring of David Griffin, executive vice president of basketball operations. He brings in his staff that includes Trajan Langdon, Swinton Cash, eventually the training staff. And then you go into May of 2019 where it kind of has the vibe, as you mentioned in our podcast yesterday, um, as soon as uh, Tom Benson purchased the NBA franchise, a month later you win the Anthony Davis lottery. And then this one with all the lottery changes, the odds are a little bit more in your favor, even though the Pelicans entered with the sixth sixth best sixth best odds odds to win Mm -hmm. the lottery. It was looking really dim, like everyone was thinking, all right, you're probably going to pick sixth or seventh in the mm-hmm. 2019 draft. You were there in chi- Chicago yes, for the announcement. I remember sitting in my living room, and we'll go to this. This is the kind of – we're going to combine this moment and just the whole last summer in general as kind of the last moment of this decade, the most memorable moments. Mm-hmm. But we have to go back to that lottery night. I'm sitting in my house. I have a, uh, I don't know, eight-month-old daughter – at the time, or nine-month-old daughter, sleeping already. My wife's putting her to bed, and she's like, can you come help me? I go, no, I cannot come help. <laughs> this is bad parenting. But this is when they're going through the list, and all of a sudden, you know, with the lottery, if you're watching your team, if your team is not called at the place that you think they're going to get it, that means they have reached mm-hmm. the top, now what it is, top, top four. four of the lottery. Mm-hmm. And you already saw the Los Angeles Lakers at number 11. I think they're the team at 11 that yeah. already hit the Moved number the four. four. Mm-hmm. And then you had, I think, the Grizzlies. Were they at number nine? They jumped Something in like as well. Yeah. They jumped in as well. So you're thinking mm-hmm. two of these four teams are already, um, were that were behind the Pelicans. Took up spots. Took yeah. up spots. Mm-hmm. You're like, there's no way it happened. And then right. the sixth team popped up, and all of a sudden it wasn't the Pelicans. And I just remember going, holy cow, holy cow, we're going to the top four. <laughs> So then you fast forward to commercial break. They always do the announcement. All right, here's the top four. We'll find out next. And I was yep. like, no matter what happens now, you're golden. You get a mm-hmm. top four pick. But now you're thinking sure. with the three players that everyone was talking about in the draft between Zion, 
John Morant and R.J. Barrett, I got a little greedy. I'm like, if we can slide into the top three, then you're you're basically guaranteed to get one of those three players. Sure enough, number four comes up. It's the Cleveland Cavaliers. All right, wow, that's great. Number three pops up. It's the New York Knicks. And I'm like, oh, my God, now you get one or two. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the Grizzlies come up at number two. And I remember just running outside my house <laughs> into the backyard and screaming because I didn't want to wake up my daughter. And I just had to – and she's like, can you come help me now? I'm like, not now. We just won the lottery. Are you kidding me right now? Just, Don't do this at home, I, people. I'm whispering and yelling at the same time. It just that, that feeling of, holy cow, after everything you just went through, you ended up getting the number yeah. one pick that turned into Zion Williamson. Um, but I know you were, I mean, you probably went through a wide range, of emo- wide range of emotions just covering that moment. You know, I will give you credit because at least you went outside because I thought for sure the direction you were going to go with was you were trying to stay quiet because you didn't like, want to wake up your infant daughter. But then when number two was pulled, you like screamed and, ye- and yelled and she woke up and then your wife was mad at you. So and I wouldn't have been I, married probably if I ended up <laughs> right. screaming in that. So, yeah. So Zion could have been the, been, been what, what, uh, messed mm-hmm. up the marriage, but no, um, I remember I was sitting next to we were the people covering it from New Orleans was myself, Will Guillory and Andrew Lopez and we were all just looking at each other like wait a minute this can't actually be happening that they moved in the top 4 then we were like wait a minute they have a chance to to take number 1 and I mean it was I think we were just all stunned and I I think David Griffin was um even though he said leading up to it you know he's like I I have confidence I I believe you got to, you got to, you know, if you want things to happen, you got to believe good things are going to happen. So he was so positive the whole way through, but I can't imagine that he wasn't at least a little bit um, stunned in a positive way that it actually happened. And Elvin Gentry, we saw his reaction that the NBA cameras captured from him in the room. And so it it was, yeah, it was just incredible. It was um, something that also was totally unexpected. I went into it saying, I know I'm going to write something after the lottery, but I'm in my head, I'm preparing for it to be, you know, Pelicans pick sixth or seventh, like you said. So it was just, it, it was really cool. And I think one of the coolest aspects for me about being there was how many people across the NBA, people that I know pretty well, even people, some people that I don't know that well, that just know that I have been covering the Pelicans or, or associated with the team coming up to me the, that night or the next day and being like, hey, congratulations. It's so great. I'm so happy for you guys. There were a lot of people that were rooting for New Orleans and Memphis to do well in the or to get the number one pick after it had, had been pared down to the four teams that were there, which the right. other two teams were the Knicks and the Lakers, um, partly because of the small market thing, and partly because of people, people in other organizations, front offices, whatever, didn't – to be totally honest with you, didn't like what happened last season to uh, to the to the Pelicans at all. Right. Had a, had a lot of problems with it from various standpoints that I won't get into. But um, so that was that was really fun. It, it felt like I did something, even though I did absolutely nothing. It felt like I actually achieved or accomplished right. something. So if I'm sitting in Chicago somewhere because we were getting ready for the draft combine to cover that, mm-hmm. not knowing before we went to Chicago that it was going to be the number one pick. Um, just sitting anywhere in Chicago, if anyone's wearing Pelicans shirt or jacket or whatever, you have people, even random people, just basketball fans, come up to you and say like, "Man, it's so great! Congratulations! You're you're in for a great season." So, I mean, that was that's probably what will stand out to me the most is just the reaction of everyone to 
it happening. I'm glad you mentioned the Lakers because they were the fourth team in. I said the Cavaliers earlier, but they got the fifth pick in the draft. Okay. So I'm glad you kind of corrected me without correcting me. That's as okay. Far as... With some of the trades, I was confused myself because, yeah. like, the Hawks ended up picking fourth. So, you know. Oh, yeah. that's Fair, what, that fair, was, fair point. That's also the thing that the Pel- Pelicans ended up technically having the fourth pick um, before they traded it away. Right. Um, and then that was part of the Jackson Hayes and Akeel Alexander-Walker. So a lot of pieces here. That brings me back to kind of how that memory and that m- memorable moment from – this past May kind of turned into the summer of 2019 and everyone uses says hashtag summer Pels or summer Pelicans. It felt like if at least from New Orleans standpoint, if you could hoist a Larry O'Brien trophy just on how your off season went, I feel like we would be hoisting one right now as far as how how things trickled from the moment that David Griffin was hired um, and his staff from the moment you get Zion Williamson after winning the lottery in May, then you sign JJ Redick. Then you sign Derek Favors. Then you go into the summer league. Zion plays one game, lights the world on fire. Then your other two draft picks have unbelievable summer leagues. Then you go undefeated into uh, the regular season after a great preseason, and you're thinking, holy cow, You know what an unbelievable just summer that mm-hmm. as we head into 2020, um, the record's not where the Pelicans want it to be, but you've also shown a lot of signs of improvement. At the same time, though, the future looks so bright for this team, and this summer, I think, is going to be one that we look back on and going, this was kind of maybe that turning point. It's hard to really kind of summarize everything that happened this summer and just the way that it changed everything here as far as just like all the stuff that you listed, whether it's the the personnel on the roster, the environment here, the atmosphere, I think around the organization. Um, I thought things were going in the right in the right direction um, two seasons ago, but obviously everything went kind of t- was torn apart by what happened with 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 um, Anthony Davis situation. So, but um, I do think that the the groundwork and the foundation has has been laid for a lot of future success. Obviously, this is the for the very first chapter of whatever's going to be written about the new front office front office and the new regime and all of the plans that they have. But um, this summer, we there's been, unfortunately, over the time I've been here, there have been a lot of off-seasons where there's been upheaval, and a lot of that wasn't a good thing because it meant that you weren't successful the year before, so you had to make a bunch of changes to the roster, so on and so forth. But this one felt differently to me because it just felt like, um, as opposed to some of the previous summers and off-seasons earlier in this decade where you were trying to band-aid things together and make a couple minor moves around the margins to get a little bit better this was a full-scale kind of reorganization of everything and even though you know the the word rebuild wasn't really used in terms of that they wanted the team to be competitive immediately and be good um to me this is different partly because it's more of a long-term view whereas i think for a lot for a period of years unfortunately due to various circumstances things were were done on more of a short-term basis of, okay, how do we get better next week? How do we get better next season, next month? But now, to me, it's just so much more of a multi-year process and plan that's in place. And I think, ultimately, I think we can all agree on, regardless of your opinion of what ever happened in the past, that it's a welcome thing to be able to say that there's just more, it just seems like there's more of a broader vision in a broader scheme strategy about how you want to go about things, you know, over the beginning part of this next decade. Well, Jim, it's been 
It's been fun kind of reliving all of these moments here, and most of them I've been a part of. You've been yeah. through all of them um, as well. So it was nice to kind of go back through some of the good and the bad of this decade, but it brings us to today, which um, as we ring in the new year, kind of appreciate everything that you've done um, as kind of your job has evolved um, with how things have evolved in the digital platform sure. as far as everything that you do. Obviously, outstanding work as always, and kind of also how this podcast has evolved from the Black and Blue Report days uh, six years ago to now as we focus in on one team each where the Saints had their own podcast presented by SeatGeek and, of course, this Pelicans one, which you uh, have a lot of um, – you play a big part in as well. I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for 2020 to see what's upon us, um, and I and I look forward to it, but I really appreciate you taking the time here in the next couple last couple of days and, and going down memory lane with me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Like I said um, yesterday before we got deep into the podcast, it's – it's nice to be able to go back and kind of look at things and reminisce a little bit because it's something that we don't do a lot. I think the decade that is is just ending now, um, there were some good moments. I think overall, I was definitely – I would say if I'm being totally honest, it was disappointing to some extent that the, the, the franchise wasn't able to gain the traction. There were a few times where you thought, okay, they're about to – about to move forward and they're about to really get some momentum and it for one reason or another it didn't happen but my hope for this next decade is that we start to see that and I think most people I think even though like you said the beginning of the season results wise hasn't been what you expected I think there's a ton of of good reason for optimism about the way things are going to go in the uh, in the near future and I think even people that are maybe have a pes- pessimistic bone to them still would acknowledge like that things things definitely seem to be heading in a really good direction and we're excited about what's going to happen hopefully the 2020s will be more uh, more successful on the court and we'll be able to see um some more tangible great results on it and in 2029 when we use our walkers to get in here and do this <laughs> podcast you know we'll go through some very good times for the pelicans as we have no hair and, and things like that so Looking forward to that, Jim, and also we have to thank the fans, of course, for their part in sticking with this team through the thick and thin and also sticking with us during this podcast. There's always been bumps along the way, um, but what's been consistent has been the listeners, and we really appreciate it, especially um, as of late. Um, you know, hopefully things will get better, and um, we're ready to go. I'm just excited, you know, especially the way the team's been playing. Um it should the future is bright, and I look forward to uh, what 2020 has to come. And I'm glad that you said you mentioned the fans because obviously that's that's yeah. the biggest thing. I mean, never we can never forget that. I mean, I, it's it's been awesome to see the people calling into the post game radio show and the people following us on social media and stuff like that. It hasn't been easy at times to to follow this team because of the adversity and some of the unexpected things that have happened and things that have been out of our control. But when this team and this franchise does get to that point where it's where everyone wants it to be, that's going to be the people that I'm the happiest for is all the people that have the fans that have stuck with this all the way through. All right. Well, we'll take a couple days break to kind of soak in the new year. And as the Pelicans have a a little bit of a break here, it's their longest break of the season so far after uh, the game on Sunday against the Rockets. They don't play again until Friday, January 3rd against the Los Angeles Lakers two-game road trip. We will not have a podcast until that day on January 3rd as we get you ready for that two-game swing on the West Coast. And until then, I hope everyone has a safe and healthy Happy New Year. Please don't drink and drive. Enjoy the day responsibly. I sound like a dad and a parent myself now when I say that, but it is important 
for everyone. Enjoy the time with your friends and family. And let's go Pelicans. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. And we'll talk to you in 2020.